Thank you very much for coming. Thank you, virtual audience, for coming. I'm Barbara Peters, and I'm the owner of the Poison Pan. Well, no longer the sole owner, because I'm giving the store to my staff as my sort of retirement strategy. So they now have a little share of it. Um, Poison Pen is, I started it in 1989. So this is our 33rd year, right? Can I, is that math right, do you think? Right. And what what I've realized with um, Stone Cold Fox and Rachel's book is that I've um, I've aged quite a lot in the last thirty three years, and it's good for me to move from sort of traditional crime fiction, which is where we started, to reading a book like Stone Cold Fox about women behaving, should we say, badly? Maybe not. Maybe according to her lights, not badly, deviously. Right. Yep. Um, yeah, um, as a matter of fact, I was saying to her before that um, there's a sort of evolution been going on in thrillers, and many of it involves women behaving badly or women empowering themselves to do interesting things. And then we have actual witches, <laughs> huge with witches right now. And, you know, so there's a whole gothic kind of thing that's come into play, which is a lot of fun. But anyway, um, this is your debut novel. Yep, she's a screenwriter and whatever, with, but it's very exciting. And you guys will always be able to say that you were here for the first book because in the course of, of our time as a bookstore, we have been the, through the entire career of Michael Connolly, did his first book event here, says he'll do his last one here. Dennis Lehane, Don Winslow, Lisa C., all kinds of authors. And I say to people all the time, if you didn't come for the first book, you'll never have bragging rights, right? <laughs> so occasionally for those authors, it's like me and the author and maybe one person, even Delia Owens. Yeah, crawdads. It was me and Delia and one other person. I kid you not. Because, you know, you can't always tell which book is going to turn out to be a kind of massive bestseller that Crawdads turned out to be. So anyway, I commend you all for your intelligence and coming down here and all that good stuff. And I'm delighted that Olivia, whom I have not met other than by email, um, from Good Morning Arizona is going to be here talking to, and it's a really good thing because I actually, this is a generational thing and I need to pass the torch to the <laughs> two of you for sure. Um, anyway, um, I'm really looking forward to their conversation and when we're done, uh, what we usually do, we pick up the chairs, you pick up your chair rather, move it over to the side and then um, line up and um, Rachel will sign your book for you and you can take photos and all that other good stuff. Is there actually anything anybody does anymore that you don't memorialize with a photo? <laughs> I think about that. Did it actually even happen if you didn't take a photo? I do the Instagram for the store. It's the only reason I have my phone. <laughs> right. Anyway, Olivia, over to you. Well, Barbara, thank you so much. And we're sorry about the injury today, but... Uh, <laughs> more champagne. Uh, we need some numbing <laughs> over here immediately. Um, it is my great pleasure to be able to meet our author tonight in person. We already had a very lovely chat 
via the Zoom, which we, you know, we like to live in the box. It's very nice to be able to Zoom and access people all over the place. Uh, but I had such a great time speaking with her. And when you found out we were coming into town, very happy to be able to join you in person. Uh, so Rachel Kohler Croft is a debut novelist. You heard that part, right? She's got a book. I think we know that. You're holding on to the book right here. Uh, she is an WGA no award nominated screenwriter. Did you have the, the, the awards, awards already? The awards are on Sunday. They're Sunday. So everyone, keep your fingers crossed. Ah, we have the outfit. We've got the look figured out, right? Oh, yes, yes, I have a gown. It's ready to go. It's cerulean. It's oh, beautiful. Cerulean. And and for the re regular people, is that blue? It's a very like light, pretty blue. <laughs> um, and it's sequined. Oh, it's, my gosh. It's a stunner. I'm uh, very excited to wear it. Okay. So, I mean, that's really all that matters. I mean, that's that's the win we already know. Uh, Rachel, by the way, in case uh, you weren't already admiring the fact that she is an uh, award nominee, is going to be walking the red carpet and uh, is, is here to celebrate the debut of a fabulous book. Uh, she also lives by the beach. So, you know, we can resent her for that, but we can love her and uh, hope that some of her good vibes uh, rub off. So uh, the, the book is Stone Cold Fox. Uh, so excited to talk about it. And um, your mother is here in the audience. I was originally thinking that to set the tone for the experience, you should just read the first sentence of the book. Because when you open up with a powerful sentence, I mean, you give the reader a great idea of what they're in for. But I don't know because mom's here. Not only is my mother here. My brother's here <laughs> and my stepfather is here, uh -huh. but I am a confident enough novelist that if everyone wants me to read the first sentence, first paragraph, what have you, I'm happy to do yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> Buckle up, family. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <clears throat> I decided that I would marry Colin Case after the fifth time we fucked. His performance had been consistently adequate both in the bedroom and while we were out socially. We had been on seven dates, each more lavish than the one before it, raising the stakes suitably during our early courtship. Colin always selected an upscale bar or restaurant in a desirable neighborhood where people made no mistake about who he was and therefore we were treated appropriately. He didn't tip like a Rockefeller, but I'd wager Rockefeller didn't even tip like a Rockefeller. Old money is old money for a reason, and it's not to brighten some downtrodden server's day. <laughs> And just like that, we know exactly the type of, of storytelling we're getting. And I was hooked. And I, I took this book on vacation with me. And it was just so perfect because I kept going like, ah, oh, my God. Ah, like, you know, just all of that. So let's begin at the beginning and talk about where we first came up with the idea of B who's kind of a bee, and she's yes. also a stone cold fox. <laughs> Very clever play on words I was doing. Um yeah, Bee's voice came to me first. Um, she's sort of, and I'll preface this with what I mean, her ambition and sense of humor was largely inspired by three of my girlfriends and myself in kind of our early 20s and the things we would talk about. And we grew up in the early 2000s, which I feel like was a very specific time for women at large and the perception of them a little bit grim and harsh. And, you know, you can go to therapy all you want in your 30s, but there are things that happen in pivotal moments <laughs> in your youth that just sort of stay 
stay with you. So that's kind of where I started running with B and then, you know, to up, up the stakes and put her in, um, an interesting world. I said, well, I think we have to toss this woman into the 1% somewhere and everything just kind of spiraled from there, but it was definitely her voice that came to me first. I'm, I'm a writer that, cause I'm also a screenwriter. So I do TV and film as well. And I'm just a very character driven first um, writer and I feel like the plot is always inspired by the characters and what feels true to them and how I see them going off into the world well and we immediately kind of we she of course unfolds and 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 the backstory and complexity of of why she is the way she is um you know continues to reveal itself in very surprising ways but I can you can picture her immediately and you're so detailed in describing her because of the way that she looks is so powerful and such a big part of her persona and the way that she's able to maneuver in the world and control people around her. So talk to me about um, perceptions of beauty, for example, and, and and a woman taking control of her sexuality and her power in this way, like B does, to essentially say, I decided I'm hot enough that I should be super rich and this is what's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. One of the things I really like about B is that she's just like a very observant character. So she does talk a lot about people's physical appearances throughout the book, <laughs> but it's always in this way that's like, so for example, she meets this character, Cell, who's also very beautiful, but she is an assistant and a little bit klutzy and she just kind of looks at her like why why aren't you living to your full potential here you're a, you're a hot woman you can do anything you want so she just sort of subscribes to this mentality that like her beauty is a tool it's a weapon it's power and it's how she can win in a patriarchal society as much as she can win and i'm not saying that's you know the tr how it should be but i think that is um the truth particularly for her so that was kind of um something i just always kind of kept as the north star like B just really knows what she has going on and wields it to the best of her ability, which is fantastic ability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's an expert. <laughs> uh, this this book published uh, from Berkeley Publishing, Valentine's Day, which was very perfect because I mean, it, nothing says true love and romance like like this kind of. It's a of super story. romantic Gosh, book. It is right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, will you tell us because I think people get very fascinated to meet somebody who has this happen for the first time. And there are so many ways. I mean, a lot of people are are self-publishing and there's a lot of avenues to get your stories and your voice out there nowadays, but we all understand the magic that that has all the stars have to line up for this to happen so give us a little bit about about how how this came to be sure well i have been a screenwriter before i've been a novelist and so um i kind of got into that in 2015 after <laughs> i'll just be honest with you i had a really bad breakup and that guy was trying to be a screenwriter and i said if that guy can do it i certainly can <laughs> so I sat down and I wrote my first screenplay and I sold it several months later to Sony Pictures Entertainment and I was off to the races and I really enjoy screenwriting. Um, I had my first, I've sold a lot of things, but it's always kind of a long path to production if it ever gets produced at all. But my first film was actually produced last year called Torn Hearts with Blumhouse and Katie Segal as the star and it was all very exciting. Um, but largely what I was called in to do as a screenwriter is pitch on other people's IP, largely other people's books, wonderful books. But when you're a writer, you have your own ideas that you want to bring to the screen and want to explore. So 
I was voicing my frustrations to one of my then representatives and he said something snarky like, well, Rachel, if you want all this creative control, you're just going to have to write your own book. And I said, okay, that's what, I, that's what I'm going to do. And so, um, that's when B's voice kind of came to me and I did a first draft over the course of the year, kind of lackadaisically when I wasn't working on my paid work. And I had a completed draft that I showed to my representation and they had a book agency in New York and they sent it over to, um, my current agent, Rachel Kim, who was wonderful and she loved the book and we decided to work together and we did another draft over a course of about 18 months and went out with it um, and luckily multiple editors wanted it so it went to auction and I landed at Berkeley with a two book deal so it all compared to my thank you <laughs> compared to screenwriting it felt I don't want to say fast, but more um, cut and dry. Like this happened, then this happened, and then this happened. Whereas screenwriting, you can send a script out in the world and you, you may never hear anything from anybody. Um, so I really liked how direct the publishing industry is. Um, but that's how it happened. <laughs> that's true. You see, kids, it's a guarantee. It will always go that way. It's so easy. <laughs> oh, um, Barbara asked me to talk about going to auction. So what my agent's strategy was for this is um, she went out to, I believe it was 12 editors. And over the course of about two, three weeks, they all read it and four of them had wanted it. And so I got to have phone calls with these editors. And because I am a screenwriter, I was nervous because I'm always in the position where I'm selling to somebody. And I got on the first phone call with one of these editors and I was like, oh, I didn't have to be afraid at all because they're selling to me. They want me to pick them because it was this auction situation. So then my agent said, we're going to do a two round best bids. And everyone came to the table with their best bid. And then she went to the top two, told them to sweeten the deal and then kind of went from there. Um, but it was very exciting. And it happened over the course of a couple of days, the auction. I mean, I base and I live in LA and all of these things take place in New York. So one day I essentially woke up with a book deal. It was awesome. <laughs> so, and when you're making those decisions and you're in the, the fortunate position to do so, is it just the money or is, are there other factors that are considered? Is it clicking with the people because you know that they're going to have to be giving you feedback and maybe telling you to change things along the way. Right. And um, I really clicked with one. Ed I liked them all, but I really clicked with one editor in particular. And I was just very lucky that they also came to the table with the very best bid. So um, <laughs> if it happens again, maybe it will be more of a Sophie's choice. I don't yeah. know. But I was very lucky that um, both those things just happened to line up for me. Wow. Well, and I, and I, if people are familiar a little bit with the way that Hollywood works, and you mentioned that you can sell something and it can just kind of go into the abyss. And, and so I've got uh, my sister-in-law and my brother are both, are both screenwriters as well. And so, you know, it's like, yay, something happened. And then seven years later, you're like, hey, whatever happened to that one thing that, you know, <laughs> and so it's just, it's a lot of, that's, it's an emotional roller coaster. And a lot of times you just don't get that satisfaction of seeing your, or, or even worse, you'll, someone will buy it and hold it and then it's out of your reach, but also it's not being made. Right. And there's, you know, it's great to make money as a screenwriter, yeah. but you want to see a product out in the world, especially my poor parents. I was screenwriting for years and they're like, what has she done? And they're like, well, we <laughs> shouldn't have anything out yet, but I swear she's making her living this way. Um, but with a book deal, I remember my book agent saying this, she goes, when you get a book deal, barring something really bizarre happening, like... I don't know. Some people have other personal problems that come to light and yeah. then things get canceled. But when you have a book deal, your book is going to be out in the world. And that mm -hmm. was just 
so excited. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I see it everywhere now and it is so trippy and awesome and cool. I'm so, so, so excited. Oh, it's crazy. And I think mom, you're, you're happy, right? You're like, anybody says, what is your, anybody who questioned your parenting over the years, mom? I mean, it's like, you're like, what is your daughter doing here, here? It's in a hardcover. You can throw it right at them. I mean, that is amazing. That's powerful stuff. So talk to us a little bit about the process when you started to figure out this story and be, and I mean, it, it really is what is so enjoyable. I think about this book is it's really the dynamic between two women who are rivals for Mm -hmm. a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, you know, there's, there's two characters in this book, B who I've talked a lot about. She's our femme fatale, but she comes up against this woman, Gail, who is the childhood best friend of this 1% man she wants to marry. And Gail and B actually have quite a bit in common. Um, You know, they both are after, power and they kind of have this entitlement. They just kind of go about it in a very different way. But what I liked about writing the scenes between them is that initially they very much underestimate the other one. And that's just so funny, even though I did, I did toy with the idea of doing a dual POV um, with Gail, but ultimately I don't like her. So I didn't (laughs) want to spend as much time with her, but I did my favorite, some of my favorite scenes to write are when B and Gail are kind of going at it in this really smart, tricky, compelling way because they any anyone could win it's anyone's game and what's funny too it's not actually about Colin the guy um obviously he's a factor but it's more about what he represents to each of them and to Gail he's like her birthright she's known him since they were children and they're in this privileged world that no one else should be allowed into and B just thinks after this life of she was raised by a con artist mother, didn't have much safety or security. So it's more for her about like what the money represents, not the mm-hmm. stuff. It's that safety and security so she can finally relax because she always is looking over her shoulder. And that's mm-hmm. um, an exhausting way to live. So I don't fault her for going for it. She's got to get the bag. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, she has been um, through a lot of relationships and a lot of hurdles and uh, a lot of a lot of drama and, and trauma. So let's talk a little bit about the mother who is looming in our in her history um, and you know that that shadow that has really kind of um, impacted her and I think probably as now is the time to make an announcement to the group that she was not inspired by your own mother correct that is correct Let's make that real obvious I know there's a lot of my <laughs> sweet mother's friends here tonight so they will right? um, no way also agree with me mm-hmm. um, no the so when I wrote the first draft of the book, the character of mother was very much an afterthought. She was kind of there, but wasn't really um, that factored into the story at large. And then when I got my agent and I showed it to her, she said, you know, you wrote a novel about a complex mother-daughter relationship. Do you realize that? And I was like, huh, I guess I did. So when I went back in for the second draft and kind of honed in on their relationship and how she haunts B as an adult, it just made the characterization of B so much richer and made the story so much richer. And I really kind of struggled with wanting to do flashbacks or not just because I am trained as a screenwriter. And that's always like, don't do flashbacks. Don't write period. It's too hard to produce all that stuff. But like the cool thing I really love about writing novels is I can do whatever the hell I want. So um, the flashback characters ended up being some of my favorite to write. And I, I, they don't alternate every single chapter. It's just like a smattering in these really pivotal moments of B growing up. And not that I want anyone to relate to their mother-daughter relationship very specifically because it's very dark. But I think we all remember 
pivotal moments with our mothers or our, our parents um, and how things can get misconstrued and they, these memories stick with you. So those are kind of the things I wanted to focus on in those moments. Um, but yeah, mother definitely looms large throughout the final product. Um, and I think it made the character of B that much richer. And then it, even if you don't like her, you'll understand her. And that was important to me. Yeah. So, so we, and I think we chatted uh, on the podcast about, uh, there are, there are some readers who do not enjoy the book that is from a quote unquote unlikable mm -hmm. narrator, right? Uh, or, and our, our leading female character being like, she's got to be nice. She's not what, she doesn't have to be nice. That's pretty boring. Um, <laughs> so she, but, but it helps us to understand when she behaves beyond the, mm -hmm parameters that we've set for civilized behavior uh certain times it, it's very helpful to understand where she's coming from and she's come through a lot yes and i personally am always attracted i mean let's just call them villains for the sake of this conversation but what i like about characters like this whether i'm watching something or reading something is that they're so active they're like singularly focused on something and they put their foot on the gas and take big swings <laughs> and i'm really attracted to that um that ambition so i think that's why i tend to like those characters but i know not everyone is a sicko like me so i said what can i do with b that could bring in a reader that maybe is like ugh, this bitch you know and I said well if she's very funny I think people are going to want to hang out with her regardless so I made sure she had a sparkling sense of humor because I could say that you know Bravo has made an entire industry on this right so um I just wanted to make sure that B um people would want to stick stick with her even if maybe they didn't want to get a drink with her for whatever reason they want to know what else she was going to say because she's so funny you want to get a drink with her. You just maybe don't want to like trust her. She, you don't want yeah. her to watch your dog or your cat or something. <laughs> no, oh. she, she won't come. Yeah, no, she won't show up. Yeah, they'll they'll be on their own. It depends on how many days you're away. Uh, see how they are when you get home. Um, talk to us about when you're going through this process and when you sort of realize, okay, this is clicking. I mean, you're already a professional writer, but you're writing in a different format. You're sitting down to do this book, and did you have moments where you just said? okay, this is, this is it. This is it. This yes. is the one. And they're so magical. And I'm sure a lot of writers would say this because I do, um, I outline a little bit, like I don't have a robust outline, but I do like to know where I'm generally going, where I'm going to end and have a plan, whether I'm writing a novel or a script. But for me, there's something that happens. And I just realized this is part of my process. There are things I will not think of while I'm in the outline stage. But then when I'm writing, things just kind of appear. And then when I read it back, it's like, oh, I planted some fun little seeds there. And then also sometimes characters just appear out of nowhere. Like one of my favorite characters in this book is Ren Daly. And she's a fitness influencer and really funny and silly. And I did not plan for her. She just kind of appeared one day. And I was like, oh, you can stay because... She's funny and I feel like B could like use her as a pawn in her little game. And so I really like those magical moments when things just happen when you're in flow and um, it's all happening. I, I don't know how to like fully explain it, but it is like a big part of my process and easily my favorite part. It's so much fun. Well, I think for those of us who can't write um, and, and only like to read, uh, we're really we, we just our minds are blown by by the idea that these characters are coming to life from you, but sort of separate from you. And I've talked to a lot of, of writers who have very, you know, famous books that, you know, the, the original character, the, the protagonist that we're reading about was just a peripheral character in the first draft or when they walked in and everything changed and you realize. So when they kind of take on a life of their own and they have that sort of like vitality, I guess, is when you feel like it's 
it's working. Yeah, it's so fun because I, you know, the story is largely about B and Gail and mother. I, I would say they're like the the big three of the book, but I really like so many of the tertiary characters in this novel. And when they are, when I am able to give them some real estate in the book, I want them to really shine and feel three dimensional and like real people. So I do make sure to pay attention to them, even if they aren't contributing to the larger A plot, as it were. But I want to make sure specifically the female characters, but all characters, you know what they want, even if we're not following their journey every step of the way, because we're in B's head. This is a first person um, narrated novel. Um, but you still know like, oh, I've got Ren Daly's number or Colin Case has this wild sister Calliope who always makes me laugh. And I I would love to spend more time with her, which hopefully I'll be able to do um, in, in the TV series, which hopefully is coming your way soon. So, so uh, yes, dun, da, da, da. there is an announcement, correct? <laughs> Yes, it's all very exciting. Ah, ah. <laughs> tell, um, tell. Also, this is the long game. Um, <laughs> B had to come from somewhere, right? So um, I, as I was saying, I was very frustrated pitching on other people's IP and all this stuff. So I was, I wanted to write a great book first and foremost, but I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't want to sell this to be on the screen. So ultimately, um, it did go out to several production companies. And I'm happy to say that I've closed a deal with Universal Television and producer Julie Plack. And it's very exciting. It's early days. We still need to sell it to a network, but um, I'm feeling optimistic and feeling really good about it and trying to think of it as like, it's a really cool opportunity for me to tell new stories with characters I love so much. So I'm really looking forward to that process. Oh, it's so exciting. Now, did you, had you worked with these producers before? Did you have a relationship with them? I didn't. The they okay. loved the book and I had a meeting with them and, um, and I was very firm. I, I told my lawyer, I was like, I will take this book to my grave. I said, I want to be the executive producer on the show. I want to be the creator of the show. I didn't want to just option it. Cause a lot of authors have, have no issue just optioning their book and moving on to the next thing. But I wanted to be, um, very, very much involved uh should should the show go to series and mm -hmm. now i will be thank you isn't that exciting i feel like this can't be network this has to be a streaming service correct? yes that's the that's the goal um watch this space we really but... have to sanitize be a little bit otherwise yeah I, I do think it'll be um a streaming service but um but we'll see it's it's all very exciting so 2023 is a pretty decent year for you. So, so, so far, far, so good. So yes. far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It came in really hot. My book came out. I got the WGA nomination. Um, I got to go on book tour. I'm having the best time. Book of the week, People Magazine. Oh, yes, People Magazine. I think my grandmother was more excited about that than the actual book. <laughs> <laughs> that's when I knew I made it in her eyes. Oh, wow. It's incredible. These are all incredible moments. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and all of the work and the, the ideas and the dreams that come, you know, that lead up to. And then you think about even as a reader, you, you read a book that you click with and you love. I mean, that's sort of sowing the seed for where you are right at this moment. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just I wanted to be a writer my entire life. My family in the back can attest to that. And it's just such a amazing culmination of all these things happening at one time. And I feel so lucky that it's happening. So I found it interesting when we were talking about some of the careers that you have had outside <laughs> of writing and how um, truly, you know, there are some people who are so linear and, you know, they, you, you have a dream and you know what you want to do, but most of us kind of go around and about a little bit. And generally speaking, when you look back on it, it's beneficial because it's life experience and meeting different people and giving flavor to your perspective of the world. So talk about you outside of 
when you were writing? Oh, sure. I mean, it completely informs being a writer because you actually have something to write about. I mean, one of my sweetest coworkers is here today. Kelsey Butson and I took Chicago by storm. Kelsey. We sold luxury floral arrangements to hotels, residential buildings, um, any place that would spend like hundreds of thousands of dollars on flowers. Top sales girls. I got the opportunity to move to Los Angeles with the company, but that was such a fun job. And there is, it's a very brief moment, but I can be very honest that I share the same floral preferences as B in this novel. She's very specific about what she likes. Um, so all those things kind of inform, you know, what you're doing. And, um, when I sold my first script, for example, I was doing casting for the show Naked and Afraid in case you're familiar. So that, that was, show. everybody does. It's great. It's like wildly oh, entertaining. Yeah, um, is. And basically I had to, everyone's first question is always like, did you have to see people naked? <laughs> the answer is no. Um, but you had to make sure that people could say they could do what they said they could yeah. do. Because I don't know if you've not watched the show, you can't just be like, I like camping and want to go on that show. You have to know how to mm -hmm. purify water and hunt and build a fire with your bare hands. It's very intense. I was having conversations with people about that. Um, I had a job very briefly for a director as an assistant. I got to take a private jet to Las Vegas, but then I also had to put eye drops in his eyeballs. Like, <laughs> So it's That's the, very the highs and lows of the glamorous life of different mm -hmm. jobs. Um, but I've always sort of just seen where the winds take me and I'm a very ambitious person and try to find opportunities. And then, um, I don't know. I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer, but I think there was a part of me that was like, I don't really know how to make this happen. And then truly when I break my, when my heart gets broken, I just go scorched earth. Um, I moved to California the first time after a breakup, I wrote the script after this break, that other breakup. I told my husband, like, if we ever get divorced, I'll probably become the president of the United States or something. <laughs> I just, um, there's something that, that ignites in me when you're feeling, I, when, when bad things or something sad happens to me, I'm just someone that really uses that as fuel to like move me to the next thing. Um, I hate being sad. I hate being upset. So it's like, how can I use that to get me closer to where I want to go. So it's it's all good stuff in the end. Um, but yeah. She might be writing a self-help book soon too, right? <laughs> I mean, that's that's really good. I mean, that's what we all wish that we, how we wish we could be when we're right in a challenge. And then uh, some of us just like crumble in the bathtub. And there, there's always time for that too, yeah. but it's about getting out of the tub and getting to work. <laughs> After, <laughs> don't stay in there forever. Um, what what do you, what what do you think is some or are some of your greatest attributes that allowed you to kind of keep at this and be able to tell a story like this and get it sold. I mean, I love the idea of the usefulness of like your career in sales oh, because yeah. we forget. I mean, we think that the a writer is, is just an artist and then their beautiful words get put out. And of course, it magically will be you know, well-received and it'll all happen, but you really do have to put your own personality out there. I'm well. very business oriented, even though I love to write, I'm an artist, I identify as that, but especially, I mean, with publishing too, you just have to be focused on the fact that this is also a business. So I'll give you kind of a psychotic example. When I wrote my first script, I purposely set it at the University of Wisconsin-Madison because I knew a lot of people that went there as full-blown adults and they're all still very obsessed with it. And I said, I know that if I can find someone that went to the University of Wisconsin to read my script that's in a powerful position, they'd probably take an extra shine to it. So 
I went on LinkedIn and I looked at this management company where I wanted to be represented and I saw this guy's name. So I grabbed his name and I put it in my Facebook account and I saw if we had any friends in common. Now stay with me. It was my best friend's ex-boyfriend's best friend. And I have no shame. So I was like, hey, Dan Campbell, do you, do you know this guy, Casey? Because I really want to meet him to read my script. And he's like, yeah, sure. No problem. And then that guy ended up becoming my manager. So it's like, you just have to be really, I'm really scrappy. That is honestly the attribute I I have. Um, I will keep trying. I'm not afraid to ask. The worst thing you can hear is no. And who cares? You ask somebody else. <laughs> I love that, right? I mean, that is, that is incredible. Because, you you know, there are there are a lot, I mean, there are a lot of talented people in all different, you know, sometimes you'll go in some place and someone will be singing and you're in some place random and you're like, that voice is so amazing. Why aren't they a superstar? Like, why are they, you know, here in this corner of whatever? And it's just... There's there's so many elements to success, the talent and the fortitude and the persistence and sometimes pushy shamelessness. Yeah, just being <laughs> scrappy and getting in there. Yeah, right. Yeah, no such thing as a closed door. Do do should we take a poll here? So the the book came out Valentine's Day. <laughs> uh, did is everybody here getting the book and you're going to read it or you have already read it? Going to. Yes. Yeah, no spoilers. No spoilers. Okay. Yeah. No spoilers. Um, no spoilers. Do you, what do you want to share, especially considering that your mom and some of her friends are here, um, about maybe, I don't know, the most important woman in your life who inspired you to greatness? Um, those moments that, you know, really allowed you to make this happen and all of this happen? Oh my happen? gosh, of course. Well, <laughs> my mother read to me pretty much from the time I popped out. I mean, she just always made sure. I mean, she always made sure I had books around. She liked to read to me. We, she took me to the library all the time. And I was reading so fast once I was able to read that she got a spe special dispensation from the library so I could get more books at home. I mean, just always made sure I had what I needed. And I loved, loved to read. And so books were everywhere. Once I started really enjoying writing, even before I could write, I had a little tape recorder. I would tell little stories. My mom would listen to them happily, I feel. Not even just going, oh, great. Like, I think you really liked what I was spinning. So, um... No, she's just always been so supportive, and um, I love her very much. Thanks, Mom. Oh, that's true. My mom has, like, a lot of books in her garage that I keep saying I will take at one point when I have more shelves, but my shelves are currently full, which I'm sure many of us have that problem. <laughs> Don't get rid of the books. Do you have um, advice if somebody is sitting down and saying, okay, I don't know the first... I feel like I have a story. I don't know the first thing about how to begin. And I'm looking at that little blinking thingy on the computer or I'm looking at a blank notebook and I'm sitting outside and I'm trying to be inspired or whatever. And it just seems scary. Well, because it is scary. I'll, I'll cop to it. I, first drafts are my least favorite part of the process. I really don't like it. Um, I much prefer revision working from something that already exists. And I think with a book in particular, it can feel really intimidating just because of the volume. I mean, I'll say like just comparing it to a script. A script is probably anywhere from fifteen to 20,000 words. And if you've ever looked at one, there's a lot of white space. So that's including character names and stage directions. It's just, it's it's not as long. <laughs> this book, for example, was I think 150. 
5,000 words. So it is very intimidating. So my advice is just try not to think about the whole and just think about what you're going to do that day, whether it's 250 words or a chapter, however you mentally like to break up your day. Um, just take it little by little because revision, I think, is the much more fun part. So once you get that first draft done and it's OK that it's bad, it probably will be. It should be because you want to just finish it and have something to work from um, and not to be intimidated by that. And then the other thing I would say is to meet other people that also like to write that you trust and have fun with and show them your work. Like you have to be your number one fan and not be afraid to show people your work because otherwise nothing's going to happen with it. And it's fine if you just want it to be a hobby. I mean, more that that's one avenue too. But if you actually want to publish a book or get something made, you can't be afraid to show people your work because that's, that's how it happens. So did you do a writer's group or, you know, a, a class where you met other people who were giving? I've been in some feedback. writer's groups over the years um, and they, you know, ebb and flow because some people are busy and some people aren't as committed and that sort of thing. So that's what I would say, too, if you're in a group and after a few weeks, you're like, I don't really like these people. You don't have to stay. Um, you can find <laughs> something else because I think it is sort of a special like alchemy when you find people you like to share your work with. So I think um, patience in that area is important. But now I have like a core group of friends that I'll share, like I call them first and a half drafts. Okay. My very first drafts are just for me. And then I'll do another polish where I feel comfortable showing it to some friends. My husband is usually one of my early readers. He's a producer and he doesn't blow smoke. Like he'll tell me if something is not good, which I appreciate. So um, I feel like I have a good group of people to to share with at this time. And I'm happy to read their things as well. You appreciate that feedback, but then it's a little awkward at home for a while, right? No, I can take it because hey, you, you know what? We're both we're both in the business and it's all in service of the project mm -hmm. and making it better. And he's not like mm -hmm. a jerk about it. I mean, he, mm -hmm. he does like tread lightly, um, <laughs> but I, I would rather him tell me his actual thoughts and just be like, that's great, babe. <laughs> Go on out there. See what they say. Yeah. So, no, we have we have a really good um, dynamic in that regard because we really respect each other's opinions. So as you ideally lead this project to the screen and we're already taking huge steps there. It's so <laughs> exciting. Um, I mean, I imagine you're already kind of daydreaming about who you envision in these roles and like give us some examples of TV shows or film that have the vibe yeah. or the sensibility that you think, you know, would work. Here. Yeah. I mean, I've really been calling it girly succession. <laughs> like That's yeah. kind of how I want it to feel. Very, um, fun and poppy, but still like, um, high drama and serious. And at the end of the day, there's just like a lot of like family drama in the, in the heart of the story. So anything like that is just, um, checking the box, but succession, big little lies is probably another good comp because I think these are really good dramas and super compelling, but they have like really healthy doses of humor. Mm -hmm. And that's what I like to do. I want to make sure everything I do is always at least a little bit funny, even in the dark moments. Cause if, if we're not laughing, we're crying. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's what made this book click for me right away was the humor because she is she is funny and she is so <laughs> biting and just what's going on in her mind and everything is hilarious. And that's a brain that you want. You want You don't want to miss out on that running narrative that's going on from her perspective. Yeah, I love her sense of humor. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's my sense of humor. So. <laughs> it feels so familiar. <laughs> but I just I knew that if she if she was funny, I think people would would take a shine to her. Uh -huh. So it's like a good barometer. Um, like I feel like if people like my book, I'll probably like get along with them too. And if and if people don't like my book, I, I really don't take it too personally. There's 
an assortment of novels for everybody. And I just, I'm happy it seems to be finding its ideal readers. And that's, that's been a really rewarding experience. I like wake up every day and someone's tagged me on Instagram in a positive review or um, someone put me in their story, or I've been meeting people at these events that have read and loved the book. And it's just been, it's been so much fun. Yeah. So what has that been like? And, and when you're sitting down and you're getting ready and also like when you're approving the cover, which is so cool, um, are you thinking in particular about like a certain reader? Like, do you have kind of somebody in mind? It's me. It's you, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? I guess. I, mean, I wanted to write the book that I would want to read. Um, and I feel, I've been in book clubs my entire adult life and we talk about all sorts of things. And so I think about what I would like, but I do try to think about what's, um, I don't want to say I write to the market or what's selling, but I'd be silly to say I didn't think about that. And I, I really like thrillers. I'm a consumer of thrillers. And then I tried to see like, well, what could I do that's a little bit different um, from what everyone else is doing? And that's kind of how I approached it. I often wonder when people are working on their own book or story, are, do you feel... Uh, like you have to step back from reading other people's work completely. I would be so scared that it's, I've got all these stories in my mind and I'm like, wow, I really came up with something great. And you're like, oh, because I just read that. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, I read all sorts of books. So I feel like it was okay. Yeah. Cause I don't just exclusively read thrillers. I read, you know, I'm really into celebrity memoirs at the moment. I read a lot of what I like to call dad books, like Westerns and things like that. So I feel like I'm an eclectic, eclectic enough reader that I didn't feel like anything was super infiltrating. But then there were some books that I do like to read for like, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't very inspired by Gone Girl and Gillian Flynn. I just remember reading that book in one day and falling completely in love with crazy Amy Dunn. And I was like, what kind of crazy bitch can I put into the world? So I would hope that um, other authors would take it as a compliment because I would certainly take it as a compliment if someone said they were inspired by B to create a little monster of their own. <laughs> Do you, um, when you are sitting and you're, you're seeing reviews now, you're seeing people engaging in your with your book in the real world or pictures of it out there, you're walking by a store and you're seeing it on the shelf. Um, is it surreal at this moment? Will it ever feel like it's you're feeling used, getting used to it? Good. And like, I don't want to say normal, but I feel like I'm getting used to that. But the thing that like always I just get like such a rush from is like signing my book. That is so uh -huh. cool. Like, I can't imagine ever getting like, oh, just another day about that. <laughs> um, but no, when I see the book in the store, it really like blows my mind. But also I, I do feel like this was always going to happen for me. Mm -hmm. Um so part of it is like, mm -hmm. like when I got yeah. the box, I see a lot of people, you mm -hmm. know, they like cry or whatever. And I was just mm -hmm. like, I yeah. was like, finally it's here. <laughs> so, um, no, I felt very triumphant in that moment. Yeah. And I, I think I love hearing just your, their, your positive attitude. I think that that is very, very inspiring and important and infectious. And like, we all want, like, Kate, like we'll come and like give you a little, because, because I think that we are. Oftentimes, like our biggest critics or our, our loudest doubters is our own voice. And so to liberate yourself or let, let go of that, because that's such a just a rut to be in. Um, it's kind of exciting to think of, of, of all that you can do and experience when you just oh, shut that voice up. I really I really do think we can do anything. I really it's like I'm not blowing smoke. I know a lot of my friends, like sometimes when they're feeling low about work, I'm like, pull up a chair, babe. Let's <laughs> let's strategize. What are we going to do here? Like, uh -huh. I just I really think with the right mentality and a plan and knowing what you want to do, I think you can do anything. I really do. Uh -huh. 
Does anybody have a question for Rachel that you, yes. Here, I'll come up to you. Yes. Uh, your book cover. How did you choose it? Well, I prepared myself for a couple different outcomes because I had heard from some authors that they weren't wild on their covers and that we don't technically have the final say. I was very lucky. My editor asked me to send over recent book covers I liked and movie stills and kind of make like a mood board. And I sent them over and I just said my, my one request, because this was just very trendy at the time. I was like, I really don't want blobs of color with the title. There was just like a lot of that at the time. And I was like, please just give me something hot. And so <laughs> about a month later, they came back with three covers. This was the first one. I screamed when I saw it. The other two were great too. The designer's very talented. Her Instagram is French Chips. If anyone wants to look, because she does a lot of book covers, the designer's Beyond Nguyen. Um, but it was just the clear, clear winner. Like I always say now, by all means, please judge my book by its cover because it is... <laughs> just stunning. Um, but I did not design it. I just gave my wholehearted approval. <laughs> it, it really gets the tone. Like it gets the, it gets the thing here. Oh, I'll start here and then come up here. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good. Thank you. And you're very nice. Thank you. It's nice to be here. <clears throat> I'm wondering as an author, I don't know how many characters you have in your book as I've not had the opportunity to read it as yet. I have to pry it out of my wife's hands <laughs> to get a chance to look at it. But how do you come up with your names for your characters? That's, That's a good kind question. Of interesting in reading other authors' books, you know, you, you, they've got so many different names, I've never seen them duplicated. Yeah, I do try to make them a little left of center, but not too bonkers. So with B, for example, this is like a formed identity. We don't actually know her real name. And I was thinking about someone who's going to want to sound a little upper crusty, um, kind of forging this identity. And then as Olivia pointed out earlier, I thought it was kind of a funny play on the word bitch. And also that she wants to be somebody. So I kind of thought of it from that regard. And then her nemesis, her full name is Gail Wallace Lester. And I just thought that a hyphenated last name for that character was completely necessary. And I made a long list of all these bougie last names for lack of a better description and start kind of started like mashing them together. And once like Wallace Lester came to me, I said, oh, great, that's it. Um, and then there's another there's a family, the Case family, and they've like named their three children all the same letter name. So that was kind of fun to think about. Um, but I, it's just one of those things. I mean, I think my mom can even attest to this. Like I had this like baby name book when I was a kid and I, I used it for stories all the time, just kind of looking different names and things but um no I was like I have no offense to anyone here named Kate but I was like if I read another book with a character named like Kate or Sam or Alex I was just like I want something <laughs> give me something fresh so I just wanted it to feel like a real person's name but also um as unique as I could without it sounding completely made up my pleasure thanks for being here I am pretty disciplined. I'm not hours. I'm more words because some days like it comes really fast and I can knock out. I try to do when I'm working anywhere from 1500 to 3000 words a day. Yes. Yes. And then there's, if there are some days where I'm like not feeling it, I a thousand minimum, anyone can do a thousand. I mean, they don't have to be good, especially when it's your first draft. 
Um, I'll always write even when I'm not feeling it because it's like I have to do this. This is my job. But I'll give myself some grace in that if it's not that good that day, I know I can make it better, better when I go for the revision. Um, but I'm more disciplined, not disciplined, that's the wrong word. The numbers are more important to me when I'm doing the first draft because I just want to get that thing done. I hate doing a first draft. So I'm just going to be like, I don't care what's coming out. Let's just like get it out here because I just have a much easier time working from something that already exists. When I'm doing revision, then it's probably more hours. But I tend to work from like 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. That's like my ideal work day. I like a leisurely morning. <laughs> um, and 11 o'clock, I feel like I'm at my freshest to like sit down and work. And I can usually work till about five o'clock. But then once in a while, I get like a night spree. Like if I'm inspired, I'll sit down and write and like have tea with like a candle going and something will come to me. But generally, I'm an afternoon writer. So and how many how many words are in a book generally? Like if for those of us who don't know that. Um, it depends. I mean, my book is around 360 pages and it's about 105,000 words. Um, I think a short novel can be anywhere from like 60 to 70, 80. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's some massive books like a Stephen King that can be a triple size. So, but I think for thriller, Mm -hmm. you try to shoot for like 90 to a hundred thereabouts. Hi. Was, um, the title always wait barbara has something to say my foot is swelling up now (laughs) to the point where i can't move i managed to break it so that's why i'm sitting down here there's a new thing going on in publishing this has recently happened which is that paper has become so expensive that um, publishers are making decisions based on the length of the book uh, about the quality of the paper so i had an author here two weeks ago whose book is a little bit long, and the paper was almost like tissue paper. He was so upset when he went to sign it because you can almost tear the paper. Um, So what they're doing is trying to save money without raising the prices to the point where you won't want to pay for them. So in truth, um, a kind of ordinary woman's fiction book, let's say, runs around 80,000 words. But I had, uh, with C.J. Boxer the other night, I had another author who'd finished his thriller. It's 118,000 words. And basically his publisher said to him, you either have to ditch 20% of it or we're going we're gonna to have to up the price, which might make it too expensive you know, for a lot of people to buy. So this is a new thing that has just happened. Um, and I don't, I mean, I think it's got a very chilling effect you know, on authors, if you now have to start thinking about, you know, if my word's too long, if there are too many words, am I going to get penalized by having a crappy, you know, production? Or is my book going to be priced up to the point where I had a call on Wednesday night before Thanksgiving from a publisher who said, you, you have to go into your website and adjust your prices. Well, was I really going to do that then? No. Um, but, you know, then they said that they had decided arbitrarily they were raising all their prices from $28 to $32.50. And I thought, that's not really a good idea because I think $29.99 is kind of, you know, the ceiling that people want to pay right now. It's too expensive. Um, so this is, you know, it, it is a business. You're absolutely right. It is a business. And so if you want to be you know, successfully published, you now have to start thinking about costs in addition to everything else. 
I won't even go into sensitivity readers because that just will drive me insane. Um, but and, and you would flunk. If you'd had one, it would have been terrible. I know, right. So there's just a lot of weird stuff going on right now. Weird stuff in the world, world stuff in publishing, you know. Um, and I keep hoping. I'm so old that I, I lived through McCarthy and the blacklist, and I can remember all those years, you know, we thought, what's happened? It's never going to get better. And then one day it went away, you know, and something else terrible came along. And we're, we're kind of in a, in a weird place right now, you know, coming out of the pandemic and there's a war on and all this other stuff. So thank goodness for your book, you know, which is a wonderful escape. If nothing else, you know, we can all identify with V and her, you know, desire to have the kind of life that she's dreamt of and she's going to have what we now call agency and, you know, take, take control of it. And, you know, the world's so uncertain right now. You have to do that, right? Go for what you want. Right. Sorry, that was a long answer. But it was a, it's an interesting point that um, I don't know that you would have been aware of, Olivia, because it's just kind of, kind of happened. Right. Thank you. Hello. I was wondering if Stone Cold Fox was your initial title or did it change? And what did you base that title on? So it wasn't the original title. The original title was Foxes because I thought all the women in the character were very foxy and cunning and sly. And it didn't feel right, but it was felt right enough to go out with. And then my very smart editor, I just feel like I, I love the title, obviously, but I also felt stupid because it was like right there in front of my face. But um, no, she's like, what do you think about Stone Cold Fox? I was like, obviously, that's the title. Like I'm signing off on it. It's great. Um, no, I'm really, really happy with it because I think it just really describes what the book is. <laughs> I have two questions. Is that okay. okay? <laughs> My first one is, so I'm not done with the book, but I'm more than halfway and it's fantastic. Thank but what, thank you. <laughs> but one of the things that I love so much about it is you're inside her head and you're hearing all her snark that she can't say on the outside because mm -hmm. she has to have this veneer, right? How are you going to portray that in the TV adaptation? Well, I think, um, and I'm going to be very comfortable with this because I'm just treating them as like completely different mediums. The TV show is going to be a little bit different. I mean, we're not just going to be in B's head, but what I find kind of cool and exciting about that is I can give a little more real estate to Calliope Case or see what Gail's doing when she's not around B and just kind of building it more as something you watch rather something you read. I hope to get away with a little cheeky voiceover because I do love B's interior monologue so much, but you can't have that constantly. That's not interesting to watch. So I'm kind of looking at it as an opportunity to see what all the others are doing um, when B's not around. Because in the book, we can't do that because it's only her her perspective. So I'm kind of looking at it as like, oh, now I get to see what those other girls are up to in the shadows. So <laughs> unless she has like an on-screen confidant or something that she can actually talk to, but she doesn't in the book. Right. So. No, that that is one device where I mean like what is Fleabag does that where she like kind of looks at you and says something. So we'll we'll see. There's a there's a lot to play with with TV. Um but I, I won't lose her voice. Fear not. I will figure that part out. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it was so good. Um, and then my second question is, I am almost done with the book. I'll probably finish it in the next day or two. What should I read next? Your oh, next book's not out. What a great question. What have I read? So I don't, have you read any Brett Easton Ellis before? Okay, so I, I really liked his new book. 
And I think he balances darkness and humor really well. I would say it is different from my book, but I really like how he has this ease with characters and kind of hanging out with them while like the shards, for example, is the name of his newest book. And it's about privileged teenagers in West Los Angeles in 1981. So that paints a nice picture, right? But there's also this serial killer lurking in the background. So it's kind of the, I think like a similar balance of darkness and lightness that um, I just, that book really stayed with me. I really loved it. Sure. Of course you can. Two recommendations, both of them. <laughs> of course I am, I'm a bookseller, right? Um, both authors will be here. So one has scenes in Arizona and it's about serial killer triplets. Three sisters, triplets, right? The author's name is Ren Stefano, and one of the sisters decides that she's had enough. So what happens when that happens? So I think that's a really interesting dynamic. The other one is a book called The Golden Spoon. And sorry, you know, I, I can't remember the title, but the author's name is Ren. Are we? We have the same publisher. Oh, thank you. Great. Okay. I'll, so I'll there's help you. there. The, the other one's called The Golden Spoon, and it looks like what we call a cozy. It looks like it's going to be, you know, it takes place during bake week in a mansion in New England somewhere with a very eccentric woman. And there are loads of cozies which basically incorporate crime and cupcakes um, or whatever. Fun. But, but after a while, as you're reading it, you recognize that it really isn't that. It really is a thriller. And it's deceptive because you think that, you know, you're reading one way. And then it turned the golden spoon. Yep, and so she'll be here next week on the 8th, and Ren is going to be a uh, Zoom event because um, we, we do a, a mix all the time. But, you know, I like, I like introducing you to brand-new authors, and these are both debuts. So, yeah, so they'll be really fun. If you're interested, you should come to, to meet Ren next week. You can see our calendar on our website, or you can sign up for our terrific newsletter, which I write, so I know it's terrific. Um, and uh, then I will write and tell you what we're doing. It just went out today. We're doing, I think, 40 events in March. Um, and a lot, of, yeah, a lot of them, right, I'm usually Olivia. I'm not good at math, but is that more than one, <laughs> one a day? Uh, some days it's actually <laughs> two or three. Right before we started this one, Diana Gabaldon and I were up talking to John Sales, the filmmaker upstairs. We did a Zoom event from five to six. And it was so... Zoom is great because it allows you to do a lot more things than, you know, I mean, it's wonderful to be doing this, but you can stack up something else with somebody that isn't necessarily going to be here in the same day. So there are all these opportunities to listen to authors and try their voices and so forth. And we don't charge for our events. We don't ticket them. Um, and the videos stay up there forever. So if you can't, you know, show up at seven o'clock, on whatever night it is, you can watch it whenever you feel like it. So that's been working out pretty well. I'm going to attempt to, no, I'm not, um, I'm not going to stand up because I might fall down. Um, I think at this point, let's thank Olivia and Rachel for coming in this evening. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Congratulations. And I, I want to thank Rachel's fabulous mother, who we now know is the hero of this whole evening. Um, Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. 
please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.